This morning, again, we are in uh, John's Gospel. We've been making our way through uh, this wonderful book uh, all of this year. And so we are uh, in the last half of chapter 15. Last week, uh, we looked at what does it mean to abide in Christ. And we, we looked at the first half of the chapter. And uh, this morning, we will look at the last half of the chapter. So what's printed and what's above is uh, verses 12 to 27. I'm going to concentrate mostly on verses 17. Uh, to 27, but we'll read the entire text just uh, for context. And so, um, let's, uh, let's read God's Word together from John 15, beginning in verse 12. Hear God's Word to us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray together. Lord, we come and confess our need of your help. And so we pray that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and remind us of the work of Christ on our behalf. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is not a date that we normally mark uh, in the life of our church, in Faith Presbyterian Church. Today is a day that the church universal uh, remembers and celebrates Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost is that celebration of the sending of the Holy Spirit that is recorded in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Pentecost before Acts 2, was a, it was a Jewish celebration. It occurred 50 days after the Passover when we celebrate Easter. And so we celebrate Pentecost seven Sundays 
after Easter. And so as Presbyterians, we don't have the closest relationship to the church calendar uh, outside of Christmas and Easter, but it's important that we remember and think about Pentecost, and we think about and know the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what the ministry of the Holy Spirit means for us today. There are a lot of things that we do well in our denomination, uh, but an operative theology, a thorough theology of the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit is not one of those areas in which we excel, and so we need uh, to think about the Holy Spirit. The church or the Christian without the Holy Spirit is like a body without breath. We are left lifeless and powerless in our mission for God if we do not have the Holy Spirit. And so it just so happened uh, last year, uh, I preached on Pentecost Sunday as well. And we preached, uh, we heard from Acts chapter to uh, last year. But in the providence of God, we find ourselves in the farewell discourse in John's gospel, in John 14 to 17. And there's probably no other area uh, in the entire Bible in which we see more about the Holy Spirit and we have a more in-depth study of the ministry of the Holy Spirit than we do in John chapters 14 to 17. And so remember in our passage now, we're in the farewell discourse. This is the night before Jesus Uh, goes to the cross. This is Thursday night. And his disciples are worried. They're scared. What are we going to do after Jesus leaves? And the comfort that Jesus gives to his disciples is that though he is leaving them physically, though he will not be with them, uh, that he is not going to leave them alone in their mission. He tells them the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit will enable them for the mission that is ahead. The name that he uses for the Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. Uh, It's hard for us to translate that word into one word in English, but it could mean helper or or advocate or comforter or counselor. Uh, It's hard to know uh, which way uh, to translate it, but our text this morning uses the word helper. A few weeks ago, if you were here, you remember Jason preached from John uh, 14, and he talked about the ministry of the Spirit uh, was that uh, Jesus was going to send another helper, and he talked about Jesus as an advocate, the Holy, I mean, the Holy Spirit as an advocate, as an attorney for God's people. And the Holy Spirit as an advocate is one who would plead our case in the courtroom of God. And he pointed out that the Spirit's pleading for us, his uh, advocating for us in the presence of the Father, that he's not pleading for mercy, that what he is pleading for is justice. That the Spirit is not uh, pleading that God would be lenient with us. The Spirit is not trying to make a plea deal for us, that God would uh, reduce a sentence for the sins that we have committed. The Spirit is not looking to get us off on a technicality, that we didn't know what we were doing. But the Spirit advocates the perfect and the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, that Jesus has fully paid for all of our sins. And that anything less than a full acquittal would be unjust. The Spirit pleads the blood of Jesus. Our sins have been marked, paid, and full. The righteous requirement of God's law has been met in Him, and we are declared innocent. That's one aspect of the Spirit's work, the Spirit as an advocate on our behalf. But our text this morning highlights another aspect of the Spirit's ministry, and that is as a helper. 
or comforter. So there are two questions that I want to ask as we look at this passage this morning. The first is, why is it that we need a helper? And the second is, what does that helper do? So first question, why is it that we need this helper? Why do we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Uh, The first reason, we read that in uh, verses 18 to 25, we need a helper because the world will hate us. We will be persecuted as we follow Jesus. As Christians in Over the Mountain Birmingham, we might not feel, in fact, we don't feel, the same hatred and persecution that our brothers and sisters in Egypt feel right now. Um, We know that hatred and persecution do not look the same at all places and in all times. But the Scriptures are clear that hatred and contempt will come to those who follow Jesus. You remember what Paul says in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says that everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Resistance and hatred and contempt that Christians will face from the world is not a question of if, it's a question of when and how. And again, it follows the logic of the passage of John 15. The first part of John 15, Jesus says that our ability to bear fruit, our ability to love one another, to pray and to obey comes from the fact that we have first been loved by Jesus. That we can abide in Jesus because he has first made his home in us. He abides in us. That our action towards him is a reaction towards what he has done in us. And it follows that if we are able to love because we have been loved, that we will be persecuted just as he was persecuted. We read that the servant, Jesus says that the servant is not greater than the master, and so we will suffer. We will be persecuted just as Jesus was. When we are united to him, what is true of him is true of us. So Jesus tells the disciples that they're going to be hated as they seek to carry out the mission on his behalf. But what is it about this mission? What is it about this mission that will bring hatred from the world? We read that we are to love one another that we are to love our enemies. If we're to love everyone, then why is it that we are going to be hated? Jesus gives us a few reasons why we can expect to be hated. The first is that we are not of the world any longer. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as their own, but because you are not of the world. We will encounter hostility and hatred from the world because we are no longer, we no longer belong to the world. We belong to Jesus. When you became a Christian, when you become a Christian, it means that Jesus is Lord of life. That He is now in control. Your values change. Your job is no longer number one. It is not the thing that gives meaning and purpose in life anymore. The acquisition of money, the acquisition of things, that's not what you live for anymore. That your group, your family, your tribe, that's not number one anymore. Their approval, their acceptance, that's not what defines you. That's not what gives you meaning and worth in life any longer. And so it's understandable if we, are no, we no longer belong to the world that we would face pushback from the world because we are owned by another. 
we are still a part of the world. It's not that we are to retreat and to live in a bubble, but we still live in the same neighborhoods. We go to the same jobs, to the same restaurants, play on the same teams. But there is something that is different about us. We inhabit this world, but this world is not ultimate home for us. But the opposition doesn't just come because we no longer belong to the world. The opposition comes, Jesus says, because of the message that we bring in verses 22 to 24. He says, the hatred will come from the world because of the words that I speak and the works that I have done, because of Jesus' words and his works. We encounter hatred from the world because the message of the gospel is a hard message to hear. It is offensive. It pushes back against the notion that we rule our own lives, that we are in control, and that we have the power in ourselves to make our way to God. And just think of what we've heard thus far in the Gospel of John. We've heard in John 14 that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that if you want to, make, if you want to find your way to God, you have to go through Him. You cannot create your own path to the Father. He's told Nicodemus, an upright pious, religious leader, that if, he, if Nicodemus wanted to see the kingdom of God, he would have to be born again, that his best efforts were not good enough. The message of the gospel is that your condition is so bad, that our situation is so hopeless and so desperate that it took the Son of God to make it right. The message is that there's something wrong with you and that you can't fix yourself. And of course, we hate this message. No one likes to be told that they're not in charge. No one likes to be told that they're not in control. You know, and we've constructed worlds in which we can try to control everything. What we believe is that if I just work hard enough, if I've got enough money, if I have enough morality, enough knowledge, or enough intelligence that I can be whoever and I can do whatever I would like. And the gospel comes in and it crushes our idea that we are in control. It crushes that notion that we can save ourselves. To come to Jesus is to admit that you cannot fix your life. And the way to find real life is to receive something that you did not and cannot earn. To come to Jesus is to give up control. To come to Jesus is to receive the grace of God and to relinquish your pursuit of self-sovereignty and self-control. Because the logic goes something like this. If I can earn my way to God, if through my best effort I can earn my way to God, then I'm still in control. I'm still captain of the ship. I'm still in the driver's seat. But the gospel says that the way to God is a way of grace. It's not a way of merit. And so if it is by grace, then I am not in control. And if I'm not in control, then I'm in a place of weakness and not in a place of strength. And so it's no surprise that the message that we bring, the message of the gospel, is offensive and we face resistance because, it, because the message strikes at our pride and our self-sufficiency. The message of the gospel is that your situation is much worse than you thought, but that God in Christ 
gives you more than you could ever imagine. But notice one thing. This passage says that the message is offensive, but it gives us no room to be offensive ourselves. The message of the gospel can offend, but we need not be offensive as Jesus' followers. The gospel, if anything, should make us humble and gracious towards those who hate us. Not obnoxious and resentful and scornful. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. That's not always been the case in my life. I don't love the way that I should. We don't, we are insensitive. We are harsh towards those with whom we disagree. And it's good for us to admit that, to own up to the fact that we've not always done what God has required of us. But please don't think that you are being persecuted for Jesus' sake when in reality you're just being a jerk to those around you. Um, When we face opposition, let it always be uh, in the way that Jesus faced opposition. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He loved those who wanted to kill him. And so we need the helper. We need the Holy Spirit as we face opposition in this world. We need the helper to come and to remind us as we face opposition that we're not alone, that God's not left us, but he is with us. But the loudest words of hatred, the loudest words of condemnation that we hear, that most of us hear, are not words from the outside. The most contempt we feel is not from out there, it's actually from within. The loudest words of condemnation are those words that we speak to ourselves. And that's another reason why we need a helper. That's another reason why we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To put, another, to put it another way, we need a helper because we have an accuser, the devil himself, who is at work to accuse us and to condemn us. And we battle with our own flesh. We struggle to believe that Jesus really does love us, that he really has forgiven us. And so we begin to think about our own sins. You know, as you reflect on past sins, there's that voice in your head that says you're guilty. That what you have done is so bad that God could not possibly forgive you. What you hear is that you have gone too far, that you have crossed the line. And there is no return. Those words of condemnation we hear say, well, you should just give up and give in. That what you've done and who you are, that that is unacceptable before God. The accuser will roar condemnation and guilt. He will manipulate. He will lie. He will contort the truth. And our flesh will remind us, our flesh will condemn us of sins that have long ago been forgiven. We need a helper. We need a comforter, not just when the world hates us, but when we hate ourselves. We need a Holy Spirit to remind us of what is true, a comforter who is much stronger in his comfort than the devil is in his terror. We need a Holy Spirit to whisper to us that if our sins could really condemn us, they would first have to condemn Christ because we are united to Jesus. 
that if our sins were to kill us, they would first have to kill Christ because we are in Him. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us that no matter how great our sins, that they are covered by the blood of Jesus. It's just like the hymn we sang this morning for our hymn of rejoicing. We sang, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. To lift your eyes upward. Uh, To not look within, but to look up. To look to see Him there. To look to see Jesus who has made an end of all your sin. The work of the Spirit is to press into your heart the truth that it's not just that Jesus died. It's that Jesus died for you. That it's not just that He died in some abstract sense, but Jesus is for you. That His death and His cross are for you. So to answer the first question, why do we need a helper? We need a helper because we face opposition from the world, the flesh, and the devil. But to our second question, what does the helper do? What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our midst? What is it about the Holy Spirit that helps or comforts us? Do you have a friend who can only talk about one thing? It doesn't matter the context, it doesn't matter the situation, it doesn't matter who is around. Every time you talk to this person, they end up talking about the same thing. You know, we're all guilty of this in some ways. Most of it's unconscious and unintentional. Um, But to illustrate this point, I'll pick on myself and maybe not pick on you. And I do realize the irony of talking about something in a sermon of which I talk all the time about, Uh, but... Hang with me, and uh, maybe you'll see. Uh, it's like, have you ever talked to someone who has just started CrossFit? Um, it doesn't matter whether you are talking about the weather, whether you're talking about what you ate uh, last night, or the price of rice in China. Everything comes back to CrossFit with them. Uh, it is this, as if when you sign a contract, you have to sign that you're going to talk about CrossFit 100 times a day, Uh, for the first six months. You ask them how they're doing. Hey, man, what's up? And they say, well, you know, uh, uh, RX, my AMRAP, EMOM, METCOM, WAD today. And all you want to say to them is, will you just be normal, please? (laughs) Just stop being so weird and talk to me like a normal person. Um, But perhaps even worse than CrossFit is someone who has just been to Myers-Briggs training. Um, uh, Myers-Briggs is the personality inventory. You get four letters, INTJ, or whatever your, your letters are. And it, it can be a really helpful and insightful thing, um, but it can get really, really annoying. Um, because every time you talk to the person who's just been to training, all they're trying to do is to figure out what your letters are. Uh, I went to training a few weeks ago, and uh, those around me have been suffering for several weeks, and it's hard for them. Uh, But every time someone comes up and says anything, I want to try to figure it out. You can be, we can be talking about what you're going to be doing this summer, and I'm going to try to figure out if you're a P or a J, and that's just annoying. No one wants to hear that. Uh, Answer a simple question, and we end up talking about E's and I's and T's and and F's, and 
uh, it's annoying and rude and can seem condescending, uh, but it's, it's almost like we just can't stop talking about it. Um, but we've all had a similar experience with someone around us. Every time you are around a certain person, you always end up talking about the same thing. You have the same conversation over and over. And I'm going to think about that in the context of the Holy Spirit, because every time you have a conversation with the Holy Spirit, He's doing the exact same thing. He's talking about Jesus. That's all He can talk about. Look at verse 26. When the Helper comes, He will bear witness about me. When the Helper comes, He will testify. He will not testify about Himself. He will not testify about Christians. He will point to Jesus. He will testify about Jesus and what He has, what he has done. It's not just in this passage, in chapter 14, we read that the Spirit will be with you forever, that the Spirit will come and will teach and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you in chapter 16, that the Spirit will come convicting the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in Jesus. And later in verse 16, the Spirit, Jesus talking, the Spirit will glorify me and will take what is mine and declare it to you. The work of the Spirit is to point you to Jesus. Every conversation with Him comes back to Jesus. It's the only song on His playlist. It's the same old song every day. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the ultimate one-hit wonder. It's the only sermon He's got. He points you to Jesus. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, the poor Holy Spirit doesn't know any other subject. So if the work of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus, if the work of the Spirit is to reveal Jesus to us, then what does it then mean for, for us to be filled with the Spirit? You might hear someone say as you're describing a church, describing a person, that's a really spirit-filled church. Or that person, man, they are, they are full of the Holy Spirit. Or you would say, you know, the Spirit, I felt the Spirit was really with me as I read my Bible this morning, or in that service, and the Spirit was with us. It could be a temptation to equate being filled with the Holy Spirit it could be to equate that with how I feel or what emotions I experience during that. And certainly, I'm not anti-emotion. That's a, that could be a result of it. Emotions are, God made us with emotions and those are important, but that's not what is in view in this passage. How do you know if you are in a spirit-filled church? Do they make much of Jesus? Is Jesus the center and circumference of all that is taught, is Jesus both the focus and the totality of what you hear? When you come, do you hear more about what you need to be doing or about what Jesus has done for you? The temptation is to equate spirit-filled with your own experience of it. But if the message that you hear is not Christ and Him crucified. If the message is not about Jesus, then it's not filled with the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit make His presence known? 
He makes his presence known where Jesus is lifted up. But notice that in verse 27, it's not just that the Spirit bears witness to the work of Christ, but that we will do so as well. We, as those who follow, we bear witness to the world in the same way. Jesus' words to his disciples are words to us. And so as you think about our ministry as a church, our ministry at Faith Presbyterian Church is to point each other and to point the watching world to Jesus. That's the only song we've got on our playlist. That's all we've got. That's what you'll hear every Sunday when you are here. That as we gather, as we confess, as we are assured of God's forgiveness, as we read the word, as we hear the word preached, as we come to the table and as we leave with God's blessing, it all points to Him. It's all about Him. We want to make much of Jesus and His cross to make much of our Savior who died for us, who with the Father sent the Spirit to be with us to assure us, to comfort us, to be our helper regardless of what we face, to be with us in our adversity as we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. And as we come to the table, we have yet another reminder to us. We have a meal that points us again to Jesus. And at the table, we see that Jesus has done it all for us. That the way to the Father, the way to... The way to God is a way of grace that he has provided for us. And at the table we see that Jesus has done it, that his body and his blood were broken for you. Let's pray. Our Lord, we give you thanks for your word. Thank you for sending the Spirit. Lord, we forget We doubt. We are filled with unbelief. And thank you that we have a helper that points us to you, that reminds us of what you have done for us. And we pray that you would do that again for us. And Lord, as we receive the offering this morning, we are reminded of your words to us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Give us faith to believe that, that you gave to us. And so help us to uh, give uh, a portion of what you have given to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.